Blessed be tree family. Tonight's podcast is brought to you by rapturecloudscom In that, it's the questions that I've been receiving about what is this and where's it coming from? What's it going to? So I've been receiving questions from my inner circle and those who are outside. And instead of repeating myself continually, uh, I make movies and I make broadcasts and these kind of things to kind of streamline the answer, you know, question and answer process and also give people a little bit of an insight to how things have gotten to right here. So unlike the previous podcasts that have been more of a um, a system of going into a specific issue, this is going to cover basically the testimonial side all the way through uh, to the foresight and the planning that has taken place to get to where we are today with uh, this venture with Rapture Clouds. As some of you don't know, um, I've been working for the better part of five years on the programming, the structure, all of those kind of things uh, as it relates to doing an internet radio station. Um, we've had years of working with the Ethiopian community, uh, international prayer outreach, international broadcasting, multimedia, um, prayer lines, dealing with a lot of the same issues. And it, everything that I have in my repertoire has been a direct response from service. And what I mean by that is, you know, uh, some of you don't know, and, you know, I'm not very uh, theologically sledgehammer anymore, but I do consider myself to, to have an aptitude to talk about Christian lexicon and and just the uh, testimonial that has kind of created and reformed me from being the person that I was to a new creature, a new being in, in Christ. And, and again, some of this stuff might be a little bit of a put off towards some folks, but it's just to give you a better sense of where and how and why and all of those questions that have come up here recently where I'm explaining, look, I come from the South. I come from a family that uh, was matriarchal led. My grandmother ran the household and she was a a very devout brethren, uh, you know, wore the long skirts and had her hair in a bun. And, you know, she came out of a very abusive marriage and um, the church and the uh, the Black Panther Party and all of that was vital towards helping her survive from coming from Alabama back to California and basically get her legs underneath her to where she was able to stand on her own. And her and my aunt and my mother raised me. And my mother was kind of excommunicated from the Jehovah's Witness by way of, you know, what she was going through and the things that she was dealing with. Uh, while, you know, conceiving me in uh, in the midst of a non-wedlock and, you know, coming into the... I was born in 83, so if you can contextually see, there was a lot of drugs at the time. There was a lot of things going on in that atmosphere. And so um, I was raised, like I said, amidst a household that was a little bit uh, led by the matriarchal, but still running in a society that uh, may not be what we would call Christian today. So with that said, when I was moved around so much in my adolescence, I 
I adapted a kind of a strategy to um, socio chameleon to my environment to allow me to adapt to going to so many schools, to going to so many locations. Um, you know, we, we lived and traveled, but it was all directly related to um, the endeavors of my stepfather. Um, that being said, um, when my mother finally did separate and all of those good things, uh, she ultimately stayed with family. And then after staying with family, we went back to Alabama to the South. And I found out the culture, the involvement of the society there, uh, the Southern proprietary, you know, way of tradition, um, uh, the, the culture of uh, racial inequalities and the breakdowns with athletics that happened and the very interesting component of the church. Now, I became or I publicly declared from my inward heart in a declaration to accept Christ actually on Halloween 1999. Uh, in the South, they do these kind of like skits and shows and try and scare the hell out of you literally. And uh, one of those judgment houses, as they would call them, or they would do these functions called trunk or treat. You know, they're trying to avoid the sacrilege that is the Halloween paganism and all of that. But needless to say, um, I survived early Christendom around the hypocrisy that is the church. I embraced what I thought was the truth and learned more and more... Um, of my ignorance within the church. It's kind of like when you first become a Christian, you get really gung-ho, but if you really wanted to do anything within the society, or if you wanted to meet uh, the opposite sex in a, in a forum of uh, outside of debauchery, then the church was the only place to do that. And um, what you find is, you know, the way that you conduct yourself, the etiquette of the community, I had already been partying prior to becoming uh, involved with the church. So as I'm in, you know, 1999, I, what would that have made me like uh, 15, 16, something like that? Um, my <laughs> my uh, fellows, uh, colleagues, if you would, that were in high school were just getting into that experimenting phase of doing these uh, parties and drinking and all these other things. And I'd already sowed my wild oats towards that and, you know, decided that uh, it's stupid. I don't like, you know, drinking to the point of puking or uh, waking up with a headache or n not knowing who the person I was around was or any of that. So um, I just enjoyed the principles of the church and the basis of community. Um, dated a few pastor's daughters, um, would do different uh, rounds of going to multiple churches, which I didn't understand that that was culturally a little bit taboo that you would go from, you know, a Pentecostal church to a Baptist church to a very stoic Presbyterian church and then, uh, you know, going to the Methodist church. So I was inundated with learning and the community and ultimately I adapted my beliefs to be uh, aware that church was what you made it in your service and your actions and all. Um, I did succumb to, um, you know, the lusts and the passions of, of adolescence and trying to f find the one and all of that. Um, 
but in that journey, the church's admonishment to us, because the way that it was perceived was um, if the young lady belonged to a church that I didn't belong to, the church was then used as a way to create a wedge of separation and protect her, if you would. And then at the same time, if you understood the real layers of her actions and her testimony that she was hiding in the hypocrisy that is the Southern etiquette of uh, hiding the, the, the so-called virginity of the maiden when definitely not there and had uh, kind of exploited the church's weaknesses uh, on so many other individuals prior to me. Um, it was interesting for me to, to see that their admonishment was using the scripture to, to kind of rip us apart and thankful for that because, you know, I have um, a wonderful family now and a great, you know, woman who supports me and, and all of those things. But in the timeline, it was very damaging to my psyche that the community that I was supporting and I recognized as true and sincere was then leveraging itself in such a way to where that it was causing a division in a in our relationship and what was interesting for me was I kind of took it as how dare you use the scriptures to you know, you know basically attack somebody from the point of view of um, you know if this is supposed to be love which at the time we were under the impression it was then how is it the church would step in and say, oh, no, this can't be because of this, this, and this. And I dealt with a lot of uh, pushback in my own uh, understanding, my own comprehension, because I became aware of the lies that the young lady had told to everyone. And I knew the truth, but the thing was, in order for her to be a part of the community that she was with, it was not of an, honor, an honorable situation for me to try and defend myself to them because what ends up doing is I'm defaming her character, which just makes my character look even less, no matter what. And so uh, in that depression that came from those mindsets and pitfalls of the situation, I determined that I needed discipleship and I needed to know the Bible, the Bible better than the, these you know, young men who claimed to be scholars, but basically were fumbling through the Bible to, uh, 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 and explain themselves when they should have just said what it was. Uh, I would have respected it in its entirety if it would have been, you know, given to me from the point of view of, okay, so let's take it that this is lust and not love, and this is how we're going to determine that in your actions here and here and here. And so, Instead of putting it to the test, instead of making it clear, instead of making this known in a, in a structured way, it was basically taken for granted and used against me to where that I then had to reconstruct everything that I thought I knew about the church in such a way to where that I was able to, you know, not only go, get on fire for fixing this problem of finding out why are these people so crazy around me, but also to get a zeal for the word of God and, and discipleship and, and mentorship and basically biblical counseling, the same weapon that the church had employed against me. I was now, uh, in a tactic of, uh, martial science to know their, their, uh, 
their skill set and match their their talents accordingly. And so what ended up happening was I sought a connection with a family who, you know, revered the Bible, who had a, a patriarch leader who was very knowledgeable in the scriptures and was able to give me one-on-one discipleship and kind of lead me in the direction of his mentors or pastors or, or you know, folks. And in so doing, it gave me uh, a direction to go to and books to read and things to figure out. Uh, and part of that was the Reformed Baptist, um, Calvinistic, you know, uh, what we would call Reformed theology today. Uh, fancy way of explaining that is uh, everything happens for a reason. That's part of the principle of predestination. And there's a plan that you actively participate in because your job is to basically be a vessel and that vessel is either honor or dishonor by your perspective of what you choose to uh, view things as. And so it's continually checking yourself and the way that you're looking at something to then see someone else's point of view. I'm summarizing but I'm basically giving you the valid point of why this, you know, aspect of theology was important because eschatology or the uh, the study of the end of days or the, you know, the the rapture studies came from all this. You know, we have people who were uh, devout in writing books. I don't know if you remember the the Left Behind series and, you know, those movies and all that. But I was reading through these things and I'm like, mm, something's off here. Something. Like, it, it's great entertainment. Don't get me wrong. I love the books, but um, this doesn't match with what, you know, and I was one of those guys that had to read the scriptures for myself and kind of test them and, okay, well, what does this mean and what does it really mean? And let me see what, and I got a passion for the original languages, you know, not just the Latin, but the Greek and the Hebrew and uh, quite different than my predecessor teachers and such like that because uh, we all enjoyed the study of the scriptures but we didn't know that we're dealing with the transliteration which means a word that was translated into another language and then that was translated into another language to what we have today and so etymologically in the study of end of times i would study the rapture because this was a principle of all of these beliefs is that we were going to be called up into the into the heavens and meet with Christ and you know in an instant everybody would and the more and more that these concepts were were kind of projected upon the seeker sensitive church or the the church that was still thriving in the milk and not in the meat and that they they really didn't want to dig deep into what the scripture said or what the historical context was or the etymological research or any of those aspects that should be vital for true Bible study. It was basically the equivalent to, uh, let let me just explain it in a couple encounters. So, um, you know, I would reach out to pastors and I'd ask them questions. And if they couldn't answer a question, I would respect you if you said, I don't know, I'll have to look it up. I honestly don't know. But some men in their own pride can't accept that they don't know something. So they're going to say what they do know in place of that. And in the case of um, the differing types of baptism, okay, the Reformed Baptist or the Calvinists and uh, even the Presbyterians in some cases, because, you know, we have great works by 
different um, neothetic counselors and Jay Adams and these other great theologians of the time that were also Presbyterian based. Um, they were almost like a threat to this patterning of church as culture that was the South, because this was somebody that was taught by the word that they needed to open a church and they needed to do this. And, you know, they study the scriptures and they preach, but basically what's going on is it's their general wisdom applied to uh, what's going on in their lives from their own personal studies. And there is spirit-filled people in the same spirit that teaches one teaches another, because if it's all of the same Christian spirit, then obviously then we're all learning from the same thing. So as I started seeing the, the breakdown and the barriers here that were being presented to me just by using the scripture in its text, some people didn't want to use certain Bibles. <laughs> some people only uh, King James Bibles, and some people were NIV, and some people were ESV, and in understanding these different translations, you know, I was, um, you know, wanting the desire to have a grasp for all of these things. And so while this is going on, um, even in high school, my skill set was being able to use computers. Uh, you know, I started on a 286 and, you know, the, um, you know, playing solitaire and all of that from, from when I started in, in uh, middle school. And I was very good with a computer. I was able to do a lot of things. And one of the things that I started doing when I would go to a summer and come back to uh, Alabama was I would build my own computers. And I had built computers and learned the software for, I think it was called Acid, Acid Pro 2.0, something like that. Um, and then I would also figure out these different setups to be able to plug in through a motherboard to record audio into my computer. So I was recording church bands and I was um, doing these kind of things at an early age. So I, not only was I performing in the church as far as musically singing and traveling to, you know, these other locations and large events and singing in choirs and uh, I was also producing in the sense of recording albums and doing the artwork and helping. So I had this passion for the music industry, but it was directly connected to my technological background because my side hustle was, you know, this is when music was starting to get into piracy and you had Napster and LimeWire and all that. And not everybody was very tech savvy. So I was the guy that everybody would come to to get their CDs made. And, you know, they'd give me playlists and then I would go and download the songs and burn them on a disc and get them to them. And, you know, I would break these songs open that, you know, other places hadn't heard yet. And I, I liked knowing these songs and falling in love with these songs before other people and then being able to share them with select people that would kind of have this empowerment moment. And, and the universal like language of music was important to me. Um, I'm a fan of talent. I don't care if you play the violin, if you're a metal, uh, you know, rocker, screamer, uh, if you're a, a rapper. If you have talent and I can recognize and feel the emotion that you're sending, I can recognize that and I, I see it and I, I know for what it is. So I have this natural ability and instinct to, you know, help people that need to shape their vision to the world. And so this is all leading to a point, which is um, while going to college, I had 
the mentality in high school that I wanted to do trade school. Trade school was basically learning an art and a trade that would pay for what I wanted to do, the luxury of learning these other things. So I wasn't going to gamble on my future. I was going to um, solidify the trade of architecture and drafting and being able to draw with the computer and then go on to college for that and then go on to the colleges that I wanted to attend. Ultimately, my goal was to go to biblical counseling school. Okay, so since this was the transition is I went through the community college network and I was going to that and I was in the administration office and I was a ambassador to the college and I've gotten, you know, I got like nine scholarships and I was the VOE honor student and everybody was kind of surprised because they didn't know, uh, quote unquote, how smart I was or whatever until awards night. But needless to say, what ended up happening when I graduated and I had to speak and all of those kind of things in the honor groups, I decided that I was going to go on for trade school and ultimately go to um, where the, the family had discipled me. They really enjoyed uh, John MacArthur and John MacArthur's Bible teachings and Grace to You. Uh, John Piper and these other things hadn't yet come into fruition for me, but I really enjoyed good theology. Um, and he had a radio voice, kind of reminded me of my dad who's been in radio all this time. And, and the the layer of listening to this music, but it wasn't music, it was sermons, and it was ways to upgrade my my mindset and the way that I looked at the world, and you know, and, and in so doing, I decided that's where I wanted to go. So first things first, I moved to, to uh, California to go to the master's college ultimately, but in order to get in-state residency, which is to make basically you know, like a quarter of the cost of an outstate residence. You have to live there for two years. So in the first two years, I worked for architects. I worked for uh, these other engineers and surveyors and these different things over the course of these years. But while I was there, I decided I wanted to learn the, the software and the programs. So I would study um, digital design and production, which was all of the Macromedia suite. I don't know if you guys even know what I'm talking about, but there used to be like Adobe Image Ready, and there was a way for you to design websites that were interactive. This is before or right as Flash was starting. And this was before uh, the Macromedia suite was bought by Adobe and kind of bundled together to, to create the master's collection. So you, you had to buy uh, Adobe Photoshop by itself. And then you had to buy ImageReady, which was the activation for the animation part of making GIFs and stuff that was in Adobe. And then you had... Um, you know, the Macromedia suite, which you did web design and graphic design and animations and stuff with. And so what ends up happening is I learn all these, you know, software and I figure out this is, you know, I can do these things and do them professionally. And so then I finally get the opportunity to move to go to my my college that I want to go to. And then there's this there's this theologian leader of the biblical counseling program. And then he's he's basically the chair of it and he's teaching Biblical Counseling 1, Advanced Counseling, and the Marriage and Family Counseling. And so I'm paying for my education while I'm working for engineers and surveyors at this time. And and I decide I want to study under these people. And in so doing, uh, I find out that they're leaving, or this particular individual that was the reason why I wanted to go for Biblical Counseling School at this location, is leaving to go to another location to start their biblical counseling program. And I'm like, okay, well, you're going, so I need you to override on my, 
my transcript here to let me take all of your classes at once. Because if you're only going to be here for this semester, I need to take everything that you're teaching so that when you leave, I've had your classes. Well, he's like, well, I don't know if I can. I said, no, you could do that because that's what I'm here for. I'm not here for all these other classes. I'm here to learn from you. And so they did override it. And I was able to take um, basically biblical counseling intro, um, uh, moderate and advanced uh, all at the same time. And what I discovered from working in the ambassador program with the, you know, the trade colleges and stuff, the community colleges was most of their money, as far as when I would do the purchase orders and payrolls and this, you know, helping from the admin side, I worked in the business office, if I didn't say that, uh, was they wanted to get these foreign students to come there and basically take out loans and put themselves into drastic amounts of debt. I wasn't going to do that. I'd rather pay for all the classes that I wanted to take and benefit from the knowledge of doing what I needed to do and taking the classes that I loved. So I didn't necessarily go to college for a degree. I went to learn specific things because the degree portion of this didn't matter to me. What mattered to me was I was able to learn what I know I needed to learn because that's what I was here for. And so they informed me, hey, well, you know, you're, you're paying twelve dollars or $13,000 a semester to go to college here, why don't you just pay for the Logos or the Logos program at the church, the Grace Community Church, because we teach similar classes, basically the same thing, for a couple hundred dollars while you're paying a couple thousand dollars here. Why don't you save the money since you're not about those things? So I then, not only did I take those classes at Masters, then I would take the, the same structure of the classes at the, the Logos training. And... What I discovered was instead of going into drastic amounts of debt, I was able to acquire the knowledge. And ultimately, if I needed to do discipleship, it would be available to me. It would be something that would allow me to, you know, continue in education if I wanted to go for my, at the time it was called NANC, uh, National Association of New Athletic Counselors um, certification. It's changed now. I, I don't, I don't want to get into that, but basically I lived off campus one of the contingent rules for joining this community or this, you know, Christian community is that I had to agree to not partake in drugs or sex and, you know, certain hours and parameters of being in dorms was not allowed and dancing wasn't allowed. And there's all these rules that you had to swear to in order to join the school, which I found odd. But, you know, I was working so hardcore and then taking my classes in the evening to me I was like I don't have a problem drinking a beer matter of fact every major theologian that I've ever known drank and wrote those amazing works that they did probably in a beer you know stupor or a pub you know amongst their colleagues who are all smoking and drinking if you want to take Spurgeon into effect and everything else so what what I loved about Christian theology was that these reformers these men who kind of built the framework for this protesting of the Catholic Empire and church that had been forced upon everybody would then recreate it in a very similar way, but still freer than the the orthodoxy that was required prior. So I learned th these patterns, if you would, of, of great theologians. And um, 
I understood that these oaths that they were implying were for my greater good. So while I was there, I, I did not take part in anything other than the occasional after work beer. But um, what was interesting, though, was this was kind of like a wake up call to me because people were basically going here for an MRG degree where they were trying to find the person that they were going to marry. Meanwhile, these pastors that were going there were, were getting in such drastic amounts of debt that wherever that they had to relocate to to become the pastor of a church, now the bulk of their their entitlement of what they're getting paid is going back to pay off these loans. And I didn't like this part of the leveraging of theology or the study of scriptures or anything to that effect um, being the main reason to go to these schools, which was kind of like the reason why I decided to, to reevaluate at the time and figure out why the people around me were acting crazy. So I needed to study body language. And I was mentored by some great people in psychology and, and those kind of things. And um, FBI profiler and all of that stuff. He kind of helped me through my depression when I was in community college. And we stayed in contact. And he was able to, hey, you know, um, kinsmanship and, and teach kind of the same thing. So what ends up happening now is I decide if I'm going to counsel people. And I've got this skill set to be able to create visual and audio. Why don't I put it all together and counsel people with movies and films? And so the concept of joining into film school and learning how to make movies yourself was kind of this taboo principle of, ah, that's not possible unless you're Robert Rodriguez and you want to, you know, revel without a crew, sell your body to science to raise the film ends budget to basically shoot a film with what you have available with the innovations of, you know, a dolly that's a, an office chair and holding a couple can lights in, in your hand and all of these like very cut the corners, do what you got to do to make it happen aspects of filmmaking, which in my world, I'm like, that's fine. I understand. I can have respect for this. But in the studio market, it was all about let's get you into debt. Let's get you to where we can now own you and leverage you. And what school you went to kind of indicated what your family's you know, budget or state was. And I didn't necessarily understand all of these principles when I came out here. It was basically like if you wanted to temp agency at one of these, um, you know, representative establishments for you, whether it be like, you know, um, talent managers or anything like that, then you would have to join the mail room. You would have to join into a lower, uh, be an assistant and then earn your way up. But it was all like um, unpaid uh, internships. And the reason for that, what I discovered is just by observing is somebody who doesn't come from a legacy impact of financing or who's in college and they're devoting their time and energy to the connections of that establishment instead of, you know, uh, extracurricular activities or whatnot. So you had to come from a certain level of society to even take part in the majority of these endeavors because you didn't, you had to still pay rent and you still had to make sure everything. So they weren't really paying you. So you had to denote, you know, put your time in, but still weren't getting compensated. So this whole structure of the Hollywood model was based around the precepts of you already had everything you needed. So you had the financing because your family had it already. And this was like the early indicators of you going to these certain colleges and having access to these certain things. And so I was an outside observer and I decided that I just wanted to learn the skills to do it myself. So I 
basically toured multiple schools. I learned animation from, you know, uh, stop, stop frame animation and the process of doing squash and all of these uh, lunchbox stuff um, uh, from College of the Canyons, uh, f excuse me, for the animation there. And then I decided that I wanted to learn more. So I toured acting schools and film schools and ultimately went to, uh, you know, three or four different film uh, on-screen on acting schools to learn the boot camps and, you know, on-screen acting and how to basically line lift and do auditions and Chekhov and Meisner and Adler and Stanislavski. So I went to as many schools as I could to pick up the toolbox of this visual body way of communicating from an internal energy projection and you know understanding these principles was very very important for me to digest how to speak the actor language how to speak in such a way to where that I could write for them to emote and bring these these words to life and so I became a screenwriter and kind of while I was in acting schools I would write people's profile you know their monologues and help them do skits and I would kind of use my camera and my equipment to record their demo reels and I then got a little side business hustle of making demo reels and getting people where they needed to go and then editing these things so um, I became more of a producer even though I was going through acting schools and then I decided that I wanted to go even further so I went to Los Angeles Valley School uh, for art of the pitch and on-screen acting and digital film and film history and I started studying how film history was and a lot of these suppressed films that are you know kind of the basis for our culture for you know the early stages of, of society here in America was directly related to the the film part and you know I, I can talk about that at length about some other things but what I just wanted to address was I looked at this like this was the emotional recipe book of how I discovered the Bible as a way of helping people through problems by stu studying the historical context, the authorship, the intention, uh, the audience, and, and the same way of the written word and telling a story translated to me to be able to tell a visual story. And then I decided I wanted to go further for Columbia College of Hollywood, and I decided I was going to take screenwriting and pitching and um i met awesome people and was able to collaborate with this and this and that individual but ultimately i found another great mentor and i started developing motion comics and and marketing um comic book properties to be turned into films and you know before i knew it we were working with itunes and launching the you know the biggest comic book of the time that was coming out then um, there was just these layers of meeting celebrities and working with them and then kind of being mentored and discipled and trying to be pulled in to their structure of um, you know the awareness movement that basically I was told that I wouldn't be able to make a pro cannabis movie that you know I wanted to do these kind of content back in the when I discovered that cannabis was part of the you know, the theological sense of what was going on in the Bible that, you know, when you reference Christ, you're referencing the anointed. When you reference anointed one, you're saying, you know, using anointing oil that has cannabis in it. And all of these things 
I sent out newsletters and I sent out all of this stuff within the ministry. I also own a ministry internationally for 14 years now called Salvation Anointed. And we sent out the Thief in the Night newsletter for years for that and notified as many church and clergy as I could with regard to the metaphysics of the the actual etymological use of cannabis in the Bible. And a lot of people called me crazy for years, but now the archaeological evidence has supported my my stance and I also produced a film called Canna Movie Rapture at 420. And this is where this is coming from, is ultimately, for me to give you the historical context of where Rapture Clouds has come from, you would have to know that my intention wasn't to make like a religious radio station, but there was a long period of time when I was working with the Ethiopian church where Rapture Clouds and working with uh, my good brother Solomon Kebede, who who was uh, passed suddenly a, a year or so ago now, um, you know he was struck by a, an automobile. But uh, he was the worship leader and, and my dear brother in in Christ and service to humanity and the church and everything else. And we had you know created this online website. And we had created this uh, radio channel and we had worked through and gotten a programming list. And we've done this for like two, three years prior to, you know, everything that happened. Um, paid the subscriptions for the radio station, but the broadcast worked on the weddings and recording them to be able to broadcast them to Ethiopia. So this like contextual element of serving within the church created this Oh, yeah, I would really love to let people know that this word rapture, which actually means uh, calling up in joy, like it's literally rapture, like uh, calling up in joy, right? Um, and in Second Thessalonica, where it talks about uh, the clouds and those kind of things, um, we, we would meet Christ in the clouds. And so since we hold in Salvation Anointed that everybody's a living water temple and we take part in a sanctuary uh agreement that that's this is sincere um part of that uplifting awareness is that you are the pool of personality experiencing yourself by the reflection of the existence that the creator is living in the reflection that's inside your prism your body and your reflection is basically a container of that living god and i talk about these things because i wanted to cover the fact that you know it's not it's not about me making you change. It's not about me telling you you have to do this or making you feel bad. It's me retraining you to be able to be able to just see the fact that you were made with the divine purpose predestined for this joy in this moment to figure out how to say thank you, to figure out how the music takes your mind off of whatever else is going on or helps you refocus with the sermons and the podcasts and all these other things with the media side of stuff and adapt a new way to look at things. So the lexicon of Christian theology, if you, if you were to look at the spoken word aspect of things, you know, the more I studied the prophets, the more I saw that in the Hebrew that this was almost a rhyming language. There was no vowel structure in the Hebrew. The, the human body was the temple that brought the text to life. And so when I would read through the scriptures, I would try and figure these words and I would understand that they could mean this, could mean that by the intention of the vessel of how they wanted to you know, deliver it. And so 
the the profound aspect of performing biblical content was that your vessel the spirit that you're speaking with would be carried away and there was this very awe-inspiring sense of the prophets that would be carried away or carried up in in their delivery of their addressing of whether it would be admonishments or edifications or you know chastisements or whatever it was before the nations they're they're talking to people with song structure a poem and i respect it and i got it and i just knew and so one of my personal things that you know it's been difficult for me to start sharing with the world is i use spoken word as a way to communicate and recorrect myself like i have certain things that i re repeat over and over again in my prayers but i also have this openness towards getting into that zone or that mindset and um you know as an example lord grant me the words and the wisdom to walk through your sovereign steps that's a very simple statement right right i mean if you think about what i'm saying though Give me the words and the wisdom to walk through your sovereign steps. I'm saying this is all predestined for what? Like there was a sovereignty, a, a vantage point of looking from a hill down at the battlefield to see what's going on. And I want you to be able to see through me that vantage point. So I ask for the words, the wisdom and the ability to walk through those steps that you have prepared for me before the foundation of the earth, that you would receive all glory and honor and tribute by my works and efforts that you would see me as an honorable vessel to bestow joy upon the nations, not for my namesake, but for yours. Now, these base elements of my prayer and my opening in, in soliloquies or, um, you know, you, you have these doxology things that the scriptures would have in them sometimes in the Psalms and everything where they're, they're trying to solidify a closing point. Well, it's also opening a point um, because you wouldn't just read this thing once. You'd probably sing it five, six, seven, eight, nine times in order to get your body to feel what these words were. But you had to bring it to life. So what I would do is bless and be tree family. Oh, help me grant me your word and lead me home blessing be the king oh blessing be the king who helps me sing oh yes blessing be blessing be and you know i'd be walking around looking like a crazy person to everybody else because i'm singing in order to get my heart right, in order to get my step right, in order to get my body right, I'm in order to get my mind right. And I'm making this unifying factor of the performance of the spoken word of letting what comes to mind come out and flow. Well, that is an example of the sonic DNA that we reverberate, the prana, the breath, the concentration of the energy. So it is a very powerful thing to be able to speak in rhyme in a spoken word i don't like how that skill set that was something that got you before the nations to be able to talk to the kings and speak before and and change the mindsets of the people has been commandeered by this prison system mentality of ghetto and supernatural uh bindings based solely upon them having more and more clientele for the criminal system.
And the lexicon of their survival of the ghetto and the proverbial, you know, uh, racial tension that is in in America today and has grown from all... Look, this is a cyclic behavior that happened all the way in Egypt some time ago. If you want to be technical, history repeats itself, and the fact that they're not teaching our history is the reason why we're able to be penalized and then forced to repeat it. So it's become my job to be basically be a historian and then interweave my historical context into the entertainment aspects of stuff so that not only is it entertaining for you to listen to to take your mind and and do something great with but i'm also installing these upgrades of the principles of where we come from what it means who you are as a divine being what our history is and breaking down these barriers to show that the same spirit that teaches me can teach you and how does that work so one of the things that i wanted to address was i wanted to make sure that if we're going to do a spoken word challenge that it becomes a, a cyclic behavior that we continue to do. And so I, I brought up this thing, you know, they used to say seven minutes in heaven. And if you think about what that is, it was like, you know, we're going to put you in a closet and you're going to be able to kiss this girl or talk to her or whatever it was for seven minutes. And then we'll open the door again. So you guys can figure out what's going on. Right. This was like an adolescent game. Right. So this exploitive game within, you know, being a teenager and all that, experimentally fun and all i wanted to take that tone and the atmosphere and then apply the divine order to it to have fun with the spoken word of uplifting one another i see these b4s where they're tearing people down and talking about how bad their mamas are and everything else and it's like that's cool but can you use the same gift that god gave you to build people up this is my challenge. I throw that gauntlet down and I'm like seven minutes in heaven. So it's like this rapture clouds, the history and the future and everything that it is, is this seven minutes in heaven where we're listening to you. Do you got something that you need to speak before the nations with that's going to change people for the better? If not, if not, all you're doing is recreating the same stuff that has kept your people oppressed. I'm setting you free. I'm matter of fact, putting the altar before you to say, right now you have everything you need. You want to speak before the nations? Bring me something true. Bring me something sincere. Bring me something great, because here is why. I'm a reflection of your greatness. All I have is a mirror. It's not, it's just, I've been given the platform. I've been given the technology. All of these things are stewardships to me. So when I provoke you to your greatest good, it is to say your spoken word, your seven minutes in heaven, rapture clouds is a way for us to all have that calling up in joy. And it may be different at different times. You may not even know who you're speaking to when you speak what you've got to say, but it's going to ring true if you are the truth. And if you're resonating with the authority of the known universe, if you're in that spirit that was calling the prophets up to be able to communicate and then write down what needed to be said. I mean, we're able to talk about kings and queens and dignitaries and principalities and the powers that be with governments with this. We need a way for us all to communicate effectively. This was what the prophets were. There was no entertainment media. There was none of this mainstream media. There was only the prophets that traveled around and basically with a little, you know, percussion or bells or choir or whatever the case may be, they would tell these stories continually. That was their job is to write these scriptures and sing these songs. And 
today we have lost so much of that proverbial necessary sonic DNA to fix our structure that when you hear it, it rings so true that you got to have more of it. So Rapture Clouds was also my album. Uh, Rev JC is a federally branded trademark. Rapture Clouds was uh, the album that I had worked on for several years and I kind of like shelved it from the spoken word side of it because um, remember I told you my brother Solomon Kabede from the Ethiopian church, I would write from what he was telling me and I would talk with him and I would write these stories and you know it's a whole lot longer than a normal album because basically these are performances to all the names of God or the history of how the names that made the people tell a story that goes to Christ, or what does it mean to be the firstborn or anointed, or what does it mean to be blessed be tree family, and all of these concepts, right? The thief in the night thing that I talked about, about writing the newsletter and sending it out to all the churches, and the respect that I did not get for telling them the truth then, that they were like, ah, you know, I don't want to really hear that. I'm really concentrated with my local ministry. I don't really want to do international ministry. Don't really care about that. I, you know, I'm, I'm focused on my local area. And what I had found out, which is what has upset me to where that I have to make this very clear, that the majority of the church is unsaved. And I mean that from a point of love. I, I just need you to think about what I'm saying. If you don't know how to find joy and instill joy in another... The Spirit of God ain't with you. You over here trying to be a fear monger, trying to make people feel bad, have a superiority complex over them, make it to where that you look like you're something you're not, which is idolatry, which is, you know, fake. You are being a pagan. I just want you to know you can call yourself a Christian, but if you ain't anointed, if you're not a part of salvation anointed, matter of fact, if you don't even know what salvation anointed is, that's on you. You got some ignorance you need to deal with because I'm telling you the truth and the truth is what it is. It, it's like a lion. You set it free. It's going to defend itself. It doesn't need defense. So when I do what I do and I challenge you with the seven minutes in heaven and the rapture clouds radio stat, you know, all of that. Look, I don't have a problem with profanity. If it's used constructively, like you can say a spoken word and tell a story of how you came from something to be something. Or challenge somebody who's somewhere to be aware of what they're doing. There's all of these contextual elements of, of storytelling and song and all of that that need to be taken into correlation. And some of these words are great words. They're just, you know, basically used improperly. So if you have the ability to pen or sing or spoken word, get in the spirit and let it, you know, just ring true, then I challenge you. Because that's what rapture clouds really is, is I'm calling y'all up to some joy. If you can't find it, you need to listen to some more joy and then come back when you're ready. Because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And it's waiting for you. All you got to do is recognize the rapture. All you got to do is recognize the cloud of glory. All you got to do is read that Bible that you're so threatened by because of so many people who didn't understand it told you how to regurgitate what they didn't understand. You need to figure this stuff out for yourself. Nothing I can do is going to make you change. You got to be the one that is ready to do it. But I did lay out all the stuff that I learned for you. 
I summarized it in the films, taught you the medical stuff, taught you the spiritual stuff, taught you the metaphysics. But here's the thing. Just because I shared it with you doesn't mean you're actually taught yourself yet because the mirror is there. You just got to shine and you got to show yourself in the mirror that it's not what you're doing outwardly to everybody else. Okay, it's what you're doing inwardly to you that's going to change the world. What you're putting yourself through, okay, whether it's guilt or fear or worry, that is not what you were designed to be. You're designed to be greater, and the greater is joy. Joy is a gift mentality, gift mentality being gratitude, gratitude being the state of mind of joy. You have to state your mind and your intention is clear that you want to have an uplifting behavior that continually makes this world a better place by your outlook. Your awareness is the change that manifests and changes this world into where it's supposed to be. And awareness of yourself allows you to then you change the world by changing yourself. So blessed be tree family. And, you know, I got a couple minutes here, so I'm just going to leave you with something. You know, I would I would do these things sometimes, right? And I would sing, and I said, but the, the holy incense stick that passes, the gladness, all of that stuff. Like, when I would sing these lyrics to people, they would go right over their head. They'd be like, oh, that's, that, that's interesting. Right? The countenance of praise, how we raise the Like, think about what I'm saying. The countenance of praise. What's your face look like when you're singing? Really? What do you look like? Have you seen yourself? Have you seen how you come across? Are you angry? Or can you not help but smile with the love that is radiating from the joy of you letting out where you are in your life at this moment? Have you found that? Because I'm trying to let you know you can. And that's what this word stuff really is about, is you're a smith of the words, a wordsmith to be able to make yourself where you need to be in the crafting of the word, which they turn into witchcrafting. How are you going to put these words and how are you going to do that? How dare you know the language and how dare you be able to speak it and how dare you be able to learn from it? Because if you can write down your history, you can repeat it and you can understand it and now you can conquer it. So with that, blessed be tree family. <laughs> understanding is what has come to me blessed be tree family see it's not a matter of anything more than me saying a statement to you right now you don't understand it because you don't you know take this into consideration blessed is a past tense phrase be is a present tense word so blessed you are blessed in the past tense by the present tense word tree as in the tree right we're all a family tree we're all connected with the largest living organism by the symbiotic creation that is in our sonic dna our dna being in that spiral that's connected with the cannabinoids that's connected with the omegas that's connected to all of this system right the largest living organism in the root structure the mycological structure being directly into this oh so with that i'm going to summarize this last part of family we all have oneness we're all one tree family blessed be tree family is me saying in the present past tense you already have the affirmation of what you're designed to do in oneness of our connection with each other so i hope this message finds you well i hope it inspires you I hope it makes you you know laugh at me a little bit and you can go oh i knew this kid was that or i knew he was like that whatever i want to give you enough ammunition to where that if i can do this you can do even better 
and I want to see better. I want to see you do amazing things. So rapturecloudscom Go see Canon Movie Rapture at 420. Practice your seven minutes at heaven. When I start putting these songs out for people to be able to rhyme to and do all this stuff, there's a reason for that. If this is something that inspires you, there's no limitations placed on you but you. Blessed be tree family. Thank you for all you do. Hope this message finds you well. And again, salvationanointed.com. And if it is one of those things that worries you and you want to see it from the other side of perspective, you can go to salvationanointed.com or you can go to illuminatinwo.com. It's the same thing. Blessed be tree family.